Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie. I was going to say the verdict (laughs) is in. The vast majority have told us to continue singing. We asked you all on our Instagram page, if you've missed the joke, last week on the podcast we said we got a review that came in. She said, guys, I absolutely love the podcast, love everything you're about, but please stop singing. So we did a poll and we've decided we took it out and we put it into your hands and honestly 99.999% said I'm sorry, you need to keep singing. So we're sorry, we're going to keep singing. A few people have actually asked us to rap but we might not do that. Or we might. You never know. But you know what we will do out of respect because a lot of people said that we are waking a few kids up <laughs> in the middle of the um, sponsor. We're going to tone it down a notch. So we're going to continue singing, but we're going to just do it a little bit quietly. We'll ask our beautiful editor if maybe she can turn down the volume on our singing so that we aren't waking up any kidlets. Now, Jade, how was your week this week? I had a fabulous week this week. My mum and I went away without the children, without the husbands, and we just had time to sit by a pool, read books, not be on social media, and it was just what I needed. I just felt I came back restored, missing my family and feeling a whole lot better. So yeah, that's my absolute high. But also I just want to say a massive thank you to every single person that has voted for us in the Listeners Awards for the Australian Podcast Awards section because we weren't nominated for the Family Award and I'm quite like shocked to be honest. Jade's fitter. Jade is fitter. She has a chip on her shoulder. (laughs) I'm just like how did we not make it? We're in we're sitting in the top three or four every day for the past two years and we didn't even get anyway look I'll move on. But the other people that are sitting in the top they didn't get nominated either. I know anyway I don't know what it is something to do with something but anyway we put a post out there last week just to say hey if anyone wants to nominate us for the listeners choice category. We would absolutely love it. And we have been like our inbox, not to blow our heads up, but I can't even believe the amount of people that have just done that for us. So you guys all have the ones that haven't, you all have until I think the 1st of December to get your shit together and vote. For the ones that already have, thank you. But if you do want to contribute and let us win something, we would be forever grateful. Because imagine winning. Jade, we feel like winners already. Even if we don't win, we feel like winners. Can I just say, to make everyone feel a little bit more like, sorry for me, I have never received a trophy. Now, I don't know if I get a trophy (laughs) if I get the listener award, but I have never, ever, I I did D-grade netball once and the only person they missed for the trophy for D-grade netball was me. They're like, oh, sorry, we didn't get your um, name. I have never, ever, ever had a trophy. Oh, Jade, that's really sad. Look, if we win, I will get a trophy made for you. (laughs) I will. Even if the podcast award people don't send a trophy, which I'm fairly sure they won't, (laughs) I will make. Why don't I just make you a trophy for being the best (laughs) co-host of a podcast I have ever had? I'm going to get a trophy made for you. I feel like it's like a golden globe. Like we should just have something with like a little microphone. Yeah, look, I don't think we're getting a red carpet. I don't think. (laughs) Okay, if Jade and I win, we are getting dressed up. We We are are. getting trophies made. We're We're going going full all out bougie. 
we'll tell the husbands that we, we're getting taken away for a weekend. We're not. We're paying. But yeah, guys, if you let us win, we promise that we will get drunk and do another bloody Q&A live 100%. on our Instagram again and talk about things that should not be talked about and then notice that our grandparents are watching our Instagram oh stories. Nan, stop watching when I tell you not to watch. Now, the link is in our bio, but I'm going to move on. Sophie, how was your week? I had an amazing week. Definitely mainly highs. I went last weekend down to Melbourne to see family and now they're up here visiting us. So it's just been full-blown family time. The girls have been freaking loving it. They seem to be on their like best behavior when the grandparents are around. Yeah, just having such nice family time, which has obviously been so sorely missed. Low of the week was something I actually spoke about on my Instagram stories. For a while this week, our sleep just went to shit. Goldie was a bit sick, waking up a lot at night, but when she'd wake up, she'd be awake, like really hysterical and be awake for quite a while. Anyway, it ended up being a bit of a joke and Nick and I were taking it in turns who would get up to her. Anyway, so a few nights ago, I went to bed at maybe 10-ish. She woke up at about 10.30. We were both probably awake for nearly an hour. I popped her back into bed. I was probably asleep for like 20 minutes. And anyway, I wake up full-blown choking, thinking I'm drowning. And what, what had happened was there was a – like Sorry, where, I haven't been on social media, so I actually don't know. Good. You're getting it live action. So we have above our bed, like it's like a built-in – like bed head, like it's like a shelf. Yeah. And we had just a, a picture sitting propped up, leaning against the wall. And anyway, the picture has fallen over. I had a litre jar of water sitting on the bed head and the picture has fallen. It has knocked the jar. Somehow the picture and the jar neither have hit me in the head, but a litre of water went all over me oh. and I must have been sleeping with my mouth open because I shit you not, half a liter of like I am not joking I could have drowned half a liter of water went straight down my gob and I was saturated from the top of my head down to my undies and nobody else so Poppy was lying literally a centimeter away from me nobody else got a drop of water on them of course so I'm convinced there's a fucking ghost in my house that is trying to waterboard me I had you know when you like go for a walk or go for a run and you swallow a fly. Yes. And you have that sensation in your throat for like days. Mm. I had that sensation down the back of my, like, I do not know how much water I swallowed. I had that sensation down the back of my throat for like days. It was, it was just a nightmare. We had to get, wake Poppy up, get her out of bed, change all the sheets. It soaked through the sheets, through the mattress protector into oh. the mattress. So I had to sleep on top of a towel and then with a sheet. Like it was just, it was laughable because we'd had such shit sleep and then we'd finally got back into bed and a ghost honestly <laughs> poured, I mean, I'm really glad no one got hit with a picture frame or a glass jar in Seriously. the head. And I'm glad that the water didn't go all over Poppy his face because that would have been traumatic. Absolutely. But it was just such a joke. Like, oh, well, and lucky, while we were awake, Nick and I saw a cockroach as well. I was like, oh, what's the next thing that's going to happen? So anyway, that was the low of my week. It was funny. It was scary. But anyway, we, but we move on. You're here to tell the story. We are. All right. Moving on to mum hacks. We're going to do two mum hacks today because we found two fabulous ones. So Sophie, you start with the one that you have, and I hope it's not the same as mine. Imagine. Okay. Mum hack, why spend $50 on a white noise machine when you can spend $15 on a clock radio from the good guys, tune it in between the stations and bam, white noise that never stops and you never need batteries. <laughs> and she sent through a picture, it's called a Lennox clock radio and it is. it just looks like my childhood. Like it is the most 90s looking AM, FM radio you have ever seen. That's perfect and I love it. We'll have to post it so everyone can see it. Now, mum hack number two. My mum hack is to put the baby's teether toys that are filled with water in the freezer so they are icy and then instead of giving them to your teething bubba, use them as ID puffers in the morning while sipping your hopefully hot coffee. <laughs> 
I love that because I started reading that and I'm like, oh, everyone knows about the yeah, frozen like, teether so thing. That's not new. And then I was like, oh, that is so good because anytime your child's teething, you can be sure that you've got puffy eyes. Now, tell us about today's episode. Yeah, today's episode I think is a really special one. Not important. really an important one, not really an area that you or I know that much about and could talk, you know, could talk to from our personal experiences. So we're so glad that we were able to have Krista on. She is a grief expert. She is a widowed mother. And we just asked her all the questions you guys had about, you know, how we can find space to grieve as a mother. How can you grieve? How can you explain death, illness to your kids? How can we help those around us that might be grieving? Yeah, I I just really loved the way Krista spoke about this. She has incredible hacks and tips on dealing with certain emotions and feelings as well. So yeah, I absolutely got a lot out of it. And I actually, some of the stuff that she said helped with my anxiety. So it was like a a win-win. Well, they say like, death is life and birth is life and there's and there's things from these like concepts that you can definitely take across into every other aspect of your life in terms of like having difficult conversations in terms of being honest with your kids yeah so I think it's an important thing to talk about and we hope you all even though it's a heavier topic today we hope you all really enjoy it and get something out of it Hello, Krista, all the way on the other side of the world. How are you doing today? Thank you for joining us on Beyond the Bump. Thank you. I think this is the first podcast interview I've done where I am not on the same calendar day. Yes. the people that I'm talking to, so I love it. Now, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what we're going to be chatting about today and your your journey, I guess? Yeah, sure. So I am a master certified life coach and grief expert, and I'm a widow. I came to this work because my husband died unexpectedly. So never really work that I intended to do, but kind of now the the most meaningful and impactful work that I could really ever imagine doing. So I help widowed moms figure out how to love life again, right? That's what I needed help with after my husband died. And I think a lot of us are in that place that I was in, which is, you know, we aren't really taught much about grief. Mm. And so what we hope for is just kind of settling for this new normal that really isn't what we want. And we don't really understand that post-traumatic growth is possible. We don't understand that we can actually go forward and love life and be genuinely happy again. And so that's what I teach people how to do. And are you able to share a little bit about your story? Oh, sure. Yeah. So uh, my husband and I were on a volunteer trip. We had driven separate cars and my daughter, we were coming back from this trip. My daughter, who at the time was 12, was on a bus, but I had a flat tire as we were returning from the trip. And so I pulled up, you know, to the shoulder of the road, it's an interstate. So, you know, cars are driving very fast and he pulled up behind me and, you know, typical stubborn man, right? He I don't know what you're talking about. He not want to wait for AAA. You know, we pay for that service. They'll come and change your tire. No, I don't want to wait. I can do it myself. I just want to do it, be done with it. Let's get home. And I knew that it was dangerous. There was just a part of me that mm. ugh, was so uncomfortable with the cars just whizzing by, but you know, I didn't talk him out of it. I just said, all right, I'm going to text my daughter and let her know that, that we're not going to be there on time. And as I was standing on the side of the road, texting her to tell her that, that we were running late, uh, this car that we later found out the driver had both meth and alcohol in his system daylight, right. On a Sunday afternoon, just crashed right into the back of Hugo's car and trapped him in between his car and my car. And so, I mean, horror of horrors, right? So you and so within a day he was gone. Yeah, I did. I wasn't actually looking, so I didn't witness the impact, but I witnessed the noise right? And then everything that happened afterwards. So there were a lot of traumatic aspects for me to work through there. And then went through a period where we thought we thought he was going to make it. And we thought maybe he was just going to lose one leg, maybe two legs. And then as they were prepping him for that surgery, and they were running a pick line. Uh, sometimes this happens when you run a pick line as they did, and they punctured a hole in his heart and he coded. And so I stood there and watched them do CPR for an hour with my dad and my stepson, and it was just awful. Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. um, You think you know the direction your life is headed, right? All of what I had envisioned for my life was him and me. And, you know, we worked together and, yeah, it was just taken away, just 
poof overnight. What are the mental stages that you go through when something traumatic like this happens and you lose a loved one? Like are there, I know Mm -hmm. I've heard it before about certain steps of um, anger and denial, but could you talk us through it and if that's actually a thing? Yeah, it's, I hate to make any generalizations Mm. because everyone's experience is so unique. And I think that's the biggest thing people have to understand is what one person experiences is not necessarily what you're going to experience or you might experience or another person might experience. And that doesn't make anyone good, bad, right, wrong, abnormal, normal. Right. And so we do hear a lot about the five stages of grief because it just seems to be the one grief theory that pop culture kind of took a liking to, but just like there are many theories about how to raise children and how to parent, right. Or how to diet or how to do anything. (laughs) There are lots of theories about grief too. Right. And so unfortunately that five stages theory has been really kind of misused the, the two people who created it, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and I'm just blanking on David Kessler, really, they were actually studying hospice patients when they created that. So it was really about the process of someone coming to terms with their own death, Ah, not so much about someone else's. How interesting. So yeah, most people don't know that, but they were never really trying to say that those, you know, stages were supposed to be linear or supposed to be representative of one's entire experience. And what's happened is that because I think people like certainty, we've turned it into, well, first I must be angry and then I have to bargain. And then, you know, and eventually you will I'll do 27 accept, days just of not denial the way. and then 32 days. Right. Of, yeah. Which is so frustrating for the griever if that's what you expect and it doesn't at all match your lived experience. And then you're worried, well, was I angry enough? Did I, you know, is mm. there something wrong with me? And, and so we unfortunately can use those, those things against us. So, so I think it's really better to just think about it as all emotions are part of it. You know, the ones we associate with positive, the ones we associate with negative, you know, there's no timeline. It's not linear. There's no end, right? There's no pot of gold at the end of some rainbow you know, where we get to a place where we don't have grief anymore. Grief is just the natural response to loss. The loss is always going to be there, right? And in my work, I'm talking about a death loss, but that doesn't mean that grief is limited to death Mm. losses, right? It's any sort of loss. So the loss happens and then we have thoughts and feelings about the loss. And over time, those thoughts and feelings change, but the loss doesn't go away. So the grief doesn't go away. But does it get smaller or is it not like that's not even how you would describe it? There's a lovely meme going around right now on social media, which I love that addresses that very issue. And it just shows a picture of, you know, what you think is going to happen with grief, which is like, it's this ball and then it gets smaller and smaller and smaller, but really it doesn't get smaller so much as you kind of adapt to it. You grow around it. That's a nice way of thinking of it. Yeah. It's just like, okay, it may not always have the same impact on you as it once had. But it's not because you care less or the loss means less to you. It's because you figure out how to adapt Mm. to the loss and then make the loss kind of a part of the fabric of of your life. Now, we're going to talk about how we can speak about grief and death with our children. But before we do that, I just wanted to talk about how we as adults can actually also manage grief and death. Because for me, one of my biggest fears with anxiety is death. And I have had Mm -hmm. this since I was five years old. I would think I was dying Mm -hmm. in my sleep. But I have this ginormous fear about anyone Mm -hmm. around me or myself dying. Yeah. So then the question is, is kind of how do we relate differently as adults? Absolutely. To kind of normalize that. Yeah. I think if we can figure out how to relate better as adults, first of all, (laughs) then that will naturally flow down to our children. And part of the reason that we're so awkward around children is that we're so awkward around each other as adults. Grief is never a normalized part of most of our cultural experiences. And so then of course we don't know how to parent when, you know, we're grieving or when the child has had a loss because nobody ever modeled that to us. Nobody ever talked to us about feelings, right? So, so thinking specifically about feelings, anxiety being one of them, and we can look at anxiety in a couple of different ways. We can look at anxiety as something going on in the body that's really not caused by conscious thought, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But then we can also look at the anxiety that we create with our thoughts about something that might happen Mm -hmm. in the future. And the worst part of anything that happens in the future is always going to be another feeling, right? Yes. 
Exactly. Like, Have you just know. described <laughs> Jade's brain? I'm not sure. <laughs> you were inside I'm my not brain. Sure. Yeah. So if the worst thing that can ever happen to us in the future is another feeling then we can really do a lot of support to ourselves and to our kids by starting to have conversations about how do we handle feelings? Because if we get confident in, okay, when I feel anxious or when I feel sad or when I feel lonely or, you know, whatever the feeling is, I know how to support myself. And therefore through demonstrated experience, I now believe that I'm good at feelings and that I can handle feelings. Mm. We don't have to be so anxious about the feelings in the future. Thank you so much for saying that as adults, we don't know how to grieve because it's something that I would like to admit because I think I'm a very open person. Like I talk through my problems. Mm -hmm. I feel, you know, this this is why we do this podcast because we want to talk Mm -hmm. to women, parents, experts, whoever about you know, really personal and out there things. And I never have any issues with that. I don't, I don't feel uncomfortable about that. But the minute it's grief and even looking back on maybe people in my life who have had a really close person to them die, I feel mm-hmm. like I retreat. I get extremely uncomfortable and I don't know what to say. Like I get so worried about saying the wrong thing or doing something that's unhelpful that I feel like I retreat. And I don't think there's any other reasons that I retreat from people in life. And that's exactly when they need those around them. So like, how can we get over this awkwardness and, yeah. and actually be helpful? Yeah. I'm just nodding because- <laughs> Just uh, everything you're saying is is so spot on to almost all of the experiences that my clients come to me with, mm. right? Like they've never been comfortable around grief and then now it's happening to them. So I think it starts with the feelings piece, okay? So if we aren't taught that feelings aren't problems, then when we see other people experiencing feelings and we think they're problems, of course, we're going to be uncomfortable with that other person's discomfort, right? And we're going to get all weird, We're going to avoid it because we're afraid we're going to make it worse, right? Or we're going to try to minimize it because we can't, we have no tolerance for them to have their own feelings. We think it's a problem. So we're trying to fix it, right? Or we say, you know, well-meaning platitudes that, oh, they're young and you're strong and it'll Mm. get better. And there's more fish in the sea and all that. And so instead of just be comfortable that negative emotions are part of the human experience and we're comfortable having them ourselves. And therefore when other people see them, we see our role as not to solve or avoid, but we see our role as to listen or witness. Gosh, this comes to so many other topics, doesn't it? I mean, we talk about miscarriage miscarriage a lot and we say how Mm. you just just don't say to someone, at least you are only this far along or at least you conceived quickly. And I guess, as you say, it it relates to so many types of grief that don't try and find a solution. Don't try and downplay it to make them feel better. Right. Because feeling bad isn't a problem. So what can we say or do? Well, so yeah, I don't really think we want to try to do anything that tries to change anyone's lived experience, anyone's emotional state, right? We just want to be there with them. Some of the things that we do that are unhelpful, of course, minimize things. So, oh, don't feel that way. They wouldn't want you to be sad. They want you to be strong. You know, they're in a better place. Those kinds mm. of minimizing, feel better sorts of statements never help. Comparative stories also aren't yeah. so useful. So we do that with, you know, we're well-intentioned. And well, when my, this person died, you know, I know how you feel because I lost X, Y, Z person or this happened to me. And we do that because we're, we're trying to connect. Mm right? We're trying to support, but then often what the griever hears is, you know, my, my pain isn't valid. Right. And so it's, it's not saying it's, it's more like, I love you and this sucks, right? I love you. And I'm so sorry, this is happening. I love you. and I am here for you, but not trying to wish it away, make it better, minimize it. And then on things like anniversaries or birthdays, Mm -hmm. like, do you, call and message or do you leave? Like, I I mean, I know that it's not like you're going to have reminded them. Like, I think the person in it is going to be very aware that it's their loved one's birthday or whatever. But I also get that feeling where I'm like, what do you, what do you say in the message? Like, or or what do you say to them? Thinking of you today? There's there's no book. Like if there was an exact way to behave and it worked for everyone, I would just write that book and I would (laughs) hand it out to all the people. (laughs) Yeah. Email blast. It just doesn't exist. But I can tell you for me, 
I really appreciated the people who were sending me messages long after the circus was over, mm. right? The, the ones I had in particular, a cousin that didn't live in the same area as me, but she was just so good about randomly sending me a card or a text. And it was just, Hey, I'm thinking of you. Yeah. I perfect. love you. You know, it wasn't anything deep. It wasn't, how are you really doing? You know, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't anything intrusive. It was just letting me know that, that she was in my corner and those messages had me feeling so seen. Because I do think you have this fear that they're going to be having this good day and you're going to send through a message and all of a sudden they're going to remember that their loved one has died. But I feel like you know. You know. Yeah, you, you are never not thinking about it. I won't say you're never not thinking about it, but you're thinking about it regularly and you're noticing that those people around you are not thinking about it as much as you are. And that's actually more isolating and lonely than when somebody else acknowledges the loss. When Hugo and I worked together and I absolutely loved that I worked in an environment of people who knew him mm. and were willing to talk about him, right? And tell stories. He had worked there for 20 years. I'd only been there for 10. And I loved when people would tell stories. Hmm you know, and bring him up in a meeting or, you know, what was, what would his response have been if he were here and how red his face would have gotten and how many F-bombs he would have dropped. And, you know, like that was just really validating and healing for me. And so I don't think you can go wrong by saying something and you don't, and it doesn't have to be perfect. And what if we put our shoes in the grievers position? Like, how do they feel? Say there's an anniversary that pops up. How are they going to feel? What are the ways, like, what is their process? Like, I know you're saying everyone's different when they grieve, but is there, mm -hmm. like, I know a lot of people become reserved or they start getting a little bit more down around that time. So mm -hmm. I just, I guess I want to know what, I don't know, their head what space feels like. Well, yeah, yeah, what it feels like yeah, for them. Yeah. Are they sad? Yeah. Yeah, I know you've just got to be, I'm thinking of you today, which is great because, you know, we know that. But what are mm -hmm. they going through? You're right. It is different for different people. But some of the trends that I see are a lot of dread and anxiety building up to the actual day. So there's a worry about what the actual day, whether that's a death anniversary or some significant day, the buildup is usually full of dread. And, and there's kind of working themselves up in anticipation of what's going to be awful. And usually that's much worse than the actual day itself. That's not universal, but I see that a lot. They're worried. How am I going to handle it? Am I far enough? They start judging themselves. Am I, am I where I should be? Shouldn't it be getting easier by now? Am I doing this wrong? Should I be this sad? Am I too happy? You know, it's just a lot of... <laughs> We're so mean to ourselves, even in grief. I do this with my birthday, strangely. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, you can relate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Always thinking we should be somewhere other than we are or, we, or we're thinking we should be handling something differently than we are as opposed to just letting ourselves be where we are. Too much thinking, I think, is what yeah. is going on here. Yeah. And when you started to feel happiness again, did that bring on feelings of guilt? That is one of the most common things I coach on, yes, yeah. is is feelings about feelings and, and happiness is always one that seems to encourage guilt. And it's not because you shouldn't be happy. It's because people make happiness mean I didn't love them enough, mm. or I'm not grieving. Right. Or I should, you know, other people are going to think I didn't love them enough. They just make that emotion mean they're doing something wrong or have done something wrong. And it's very common, unnecessary, but very common. So let's talk about discussing death and grief with our children. Yeah. Let's say in a scenario where, you know, your, your situation was, it was very sudden and unexpected. So if we had a, a close one who it was clear that death was inevitable and soon, like how could we discuss this with our kids? Yeah. So I think some of it's going to depend on the age of your children, right? So obviously you want to be age appropriate, but some of the things I, I think we tend to do that aren't that great. We tend to think there's going to be some perfect time to tell a child about something of this magnitude. And it really doesn't exist. Children know when something is going on or has changed in the family, they will pick up on something. And so I would say that it's better to talk about it sooner than it is later and just decide to believe that when you tell them that's the perfect time, that's the perfect time because that's the time you told them as opposed to trying to you know, find it when it doesn't really exist. We also want to use really clear, direct language. So, you know, Sometimes we think we're just softening by using euphemisms like 
passed away or isn't doing well or is making their transition Mm. or isn't getting better, as opposed to just saying they're sick, they have this disease called, and they might die soon. Right. And, you know, we, we make it flowery and soft with our language, which then leaves children open to interpretation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if someone is sick and they aren't getting better, well, what does that mean next time mom is sick? Yeah. Right. Or I am sick. And so we want to just use really direct, clear language. And then also, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to know answers that are impossible for us to know. And we don't want to do that. Right. It's okay to not know the answer and be honest with your child. I don't know exactly. Right. And when I have more information, do you mean, for example, it's like, and then where does he go? Yeah. Cause that's going to be the biggest question, right? Where does he go or when will they die? Or why did this happen? Or, you know, any sort of question that a child asks that you can't know. Sometimes you will know, right. The doctor will give you information or, you know, you will know a specific fact that you can share, but children have lots of questions that are just things that we could tell them what we think, but I see us really putting a lot of pressure on ourselves to give them an answer when we really don't know. And if we could just cut ourselves some slack and decide that it's okay for us to not know. I mean, a huge part of being a human on the planet is getting comfortable with uncertainty, right? Mm -hmm. even though we like to be certain, Mm -hmm. it's not the way Mm. of the human experience. So to be able to say, you know what? I don't know if I get more information, I'll tell you, or here's what I think. Yeah. That's a good one. And not trying to yeah, have all of the answers. And also talking about how adults, you know, are so uncomfortable around grief and around death. We don't want to change the subject when the child comes in the room. No, absolutely not. We want them to get the feeling that they're not part of the conversation. Maybe we adjust it so that it's age appropriate and what we're sharing and they can hear it, but we don't shut down or we don't avoid and we don't, you know, Hide. We had our first um, experience or two experiences with our much loved dog, and mm. she passed away this year. And I watched Billy. We had a vet come in and put the dog down, and I watched Billy from the corner of the room. She would have been a, six. Yeah, she's six years old, mm. and she was very apprehensive, but she wanted to understand what was going on. She knew that London mm-hmm. was sick and she was going to die, but obviously we don't talk about what death is and what happens. So she was just, Mm -hmm. I let her have her space and then she came over a little bit closer and she sat down and this beautiful vet, she must have, obviously she's been with a few families that, you know, see their dogs pass away and their loved ones pass away. And she said to Billy, do you want to go out and pick some flowers for your dog and we can send her off with those. So it gave her this beautiful job to do and Mm -hmm. she came back and placed it down and she just, she had a tear in her eye and she understood. And then I've got Mm -hmm. an eight-year-old that was playing Nintendo and just really didn't phase her at all. So it's just so interesting Mm -hmm. that everyone has a different way, yeah, experience of of death. Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that up because sometimes we do assume that our children's experience should either be like ours, right. Or the same. And you're so right that it is such a unique experience. And sometimes we just handle it differently. And that doesn't mean one child is doing it wrong or there's something to be worried about. But I love what you said, Krista, about when they ask what happened saying, I think, because that's Mm -hmm. your opinion. Because my mum said to her, oh, London's up in the star. And I was like, well, is she? So I think it's really good Mm -hmm. for us to know as adults that if we say, I think this is what happens, they know that that Mm -hmm. isn't the answer because usually when we're younger, we think our parents are right, everything we say. And I guess that would be so confusing because she might go to school and say like, oh, my dog died. And then the teacher might say, oh, well, now your dog is here. That could be so confusing. The rainbow bridge. Yeah. 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 And I think in TV shows, you often see like, I I don't know. I mean, I guess death isn't really in TV shows that much, but like for kids, like often it's like, you know, like a spirit coming out of the body or them floating up into the sky. And so I guess, yeah. Yeah. You could always offer two different philosophies, right? Some people think this, other people think that this is what I think, you know, you'll get to decide what, what feels good to you or, 
you know, how do you want to think about it? Yeah, I love Give that. Maybe a little bit of choice. Is there an appropriate amount of grief to show around our children? Like obviously it's good for children to understand feelings and that their parents or parent goes through the same emotions that they do. But if someone close dies, like, you know, when you want to just be in a puddle of tears, like should that be private or can that be done in the lounge room? Yeah, I kind of recommend that if it's like tsunami style, wailing, you know, that we try not to let that be something that our children watch just because they look to us so much for how, you know, to stay Mm. regulated and to know that they're safe. And so if we aren't able to express emotion and also at the same time, communicate that we're safe and they're safe, then there's probably other ways that we can do that without them being around. But I also think sometimes we limit our idea of what it means to grieve in front of our children to the outward expression of emotion. And it really isn't just that, right? It's not just about crying or something that happens physically with your body, but because we aren't very well practiced at allowing emotions, that's where most of our minds go is to the outward expression of emotion. And so I think it doesn't have to be such a compartmentalized experience as most of us imagine that it has to be right. Like we tell ourselves, well, I have to shut it off or, you know, the floodgates will open or I'll fall into the black hole. And, you know, there's, it's either on or it's off and it doesn't have to be that compartmentalized, right? We can be going through the to-dos of the day and still allowing the feelings to be with us as we do that, right? We can still, you know, I notice that I'm feeling sad and we notice that sadness in a particular part of our body and we're letting that sadness be with us as we go about whatever it is that we need to do, as opposed to only giving ourselves permission to acknowledge it, feel it, pay it attention when our kids are in bed, Mm. right? It's so limiting. Mm. And so how many years ago did your husband die? Five and a half. Okay. And and, and so how did your daughter experience that time? And how old was was she? It was not a picnic. She was 12 when my son was nine. Now Hugo was their stepfather, Mm -hmm. so not their biological father. Um, Interesting, they both experienced it very differently. So actually thought it would hit my son harder because he and Hugo were closer. But what actually happened was almost the opposite, where my daughter seemed to not only understand what she lost now, but she could appreciate what she lost in the future. Right. Right. She, she could was appreciate old enough that, for that he was the one. Yeah. He, she was never going to get to learn to water ski from him. She was never going to get to learn French from him. She was never going to get, you know, all these kinds of things that she could see in the future because of her age, she was grieving. Mm. Whereas my son, it was almost more about him realizing that people he cares about can die. And so for him, it was less about Hugo's death, even though he spent so much more time with him than Marissa did. And it was more about, oh, people die and that's scary. And what if mommy dies? And what if grandma and grandpa Mm. die and other, you know, and so for, they just had very different, very different reactions to it. And how did you, like, you know, you would then have been left as a solo parent, I assume. How did you find the space? Thank you for using that word. Can I just acknowledge that? As opposed to what? Widow? A single parent. Right. Ah, solo parent. Right. It's, yeah, you wouldn't know it, but it's it's one of those little pet peeves that widows often have when they're called a single parent. And they really, you know, they're not single. They still identify as married, but widowed. So solo. So thanks. Good job. (laughs) <laughs> I'll pretend it was intentional, but these are the little things okay. I want to learn from She Googled you. you before she started, so she, <laughs> she had a one-up. No, she didn't. This is what I mean, what not to say. But how did you, as a solo parent, <laughs> find the space or the time to grieve and reflect in yeah. the weeks, months, time after? I had such an advantage because you know, Hugo was their stepfather. So their father is still in their lives. Right. So I really did have more downtime than I think any of my clients ever have. Most of them are really with their children so much, especially during the pandemic. Oh mm. my goodness. When they started, oh, kids came home. That was such an extra challenge, but you really do have to carve time out for yourself. And I know it's really hard to do when you're a mom and you, you prioritize your children above all else. And we tend to then unfortunately put ourselves last. And as cliche as it is, you know, the, the put your oxygen mask on first really is true in grief Mm. too, right? We've got to figure out how do I carve out time for myself? 
And it's, it's not always easy thing to do, but you can ask for help, right? You can. Cause I'm, I'm making I've... assumptions here, but based on what you said, if, if, you, if your son, you know, that was his first experience of, oh my gosh, people mm-hmm. close to me can die and mum could die. Like I, I'm making assumptions here, but like, I'm guessing he probably wouldn't have wanted to be away from you that much if oh, he was yeah, suddenly he aware that something could happen me. to you. Yeah. And he wanted to sleep with me a lot and yeah, he certainly didn't. And you know what I, what I did do was just be really honest with him. I didn't say, oh, don't worry. Mommy's not going to die. You know, I would say right now we're safe. Yeah. Right. We don't know what's going to happen in the future, but right now we're safe and I love you. And, you know, I'm here to take care of you as best I can. And, you know, we've got each other right now. And, but I never would try to make big promises. Another thing that I found really, really helpful with both of my children was tapping emotional freedom technique. Are you familiar with tapping? No, do tell. I've heard of it before. No, no, I've heard of it before, but ever so superficially, like I don't understand it. It's just the most amazing way to calm your nervous system and to process emotions. And it just involves very gentle tapping on um, acupressure points. And so I had been doing that with my children since they were very little I've read about it in a book and I'm, you know, kind of that self-help type and learned about it and just found it to be a very useful way to help myself and help them. And so that's one of the things that my son and I did a lot before bedtime after Hugo died is we would tap and I would specifically tap the points on him for him. Right. And do you do it yourself on yourself when you need to do it? Yep. Yeah. I teach it to my clients. I use it all the time. It is one of my favorite go-tos for lowering any sort of intense emotions. Can you talk us through what the areas are? Oh yeah, sure. And I'll just say there's an app that's free that's called the Tapping Solution app. I'm not affiliated with the app, but it's a brilliant app and it's got a lot of tutorial videos in it. But the side of the hand is the tapping point that you always start with. And so you set it up by tapping on the side of hand. And it's usually a very simple setup statement. So it's even though, and you insert the truth, right? Even though I feel sad, right? That's the truth. And then you ground yourself with a safety statement, something like, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. Three times, setup statement. And then you go through the points, which are the eyebrow, which is really on the inside of your eye. It's kind of that bone right there between your nose and your eyebrow. And then the outside of your eye, which is that bone right on the outside of your eye. And it's eye. just You're tapping. touching your eyelash. Mm-hmm. Tapping, yeah, about eight or nine times. You, you can't do it wrong. If you are feeling a feeling and tapping these points, you literally cannot mess this up. So it's eyebrow, side of the eye, and under the eye, which is the bone right under your eye, under the nose, under your lip. So it's really kind of touching the bottom of your lip and then collarbone, then under the arm, like right underneath your bra, middle of your body there, top of your head. That's it. And you just go through the points until you feel better. Is it just I love doing it? Cause it it's like to... giving yourself power, the power of it. Yeah. But like, I'm just trying to work it out. Cause I know you said it's got to do with acupuncture, but is it also distracting? Well, I guess it's not distracting you because you're actually saying the feeling aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're saying what is true for you in that moment, but it's like, like a, uh, off switch for your stress response. And it's been studied that cortisol actually comes down as you're tapping. Holy shit. Why right? have so I not known this before? A- I could be really, really oh calm <laughs> all the time. <laughs> your entire life will have changed. <laughs> it's recently been approved by the veterans administration in, in the States as a treatment for PTSD. As oh, well. wow. so it's really starting to, to gain some traction. I just happened to read about it in a Jack Canfield book, probably probably 10, 12 years ago. But yeah, there's amazing programs out there now and people are using it for all sorts of trauma and just emotional regulation. I love it. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to hook you up with some other resources. Yeah, please do. Um, I love it. We had quite a few mums write in and say, how can I make, for example, their parents, so their kids' grandparents, a part Mm. of their lives if they happen to have died before the child was Mm. born? Like, how you know, if it's someone very important to you and then obviously your kids are very important to you, how can you kind of make them still part of their life when they're not? there. I love that question. So I think anything you can do to bring them into their lives, right? So what are the stories that Hmm. you can share? What are the traditions or recipes or favorites or places 
right? What were they known for? Are there pictures around? Can you take them to places that were important to that person? And, you know, or maybe places where you shared memories with that Mm. person, but just, you know, thinking of how can we bring them in? It it can be done so simply. It doesn't have to be anything, anything big, but maybe they had a favorite. And do you be direct? Do you say, Mm. so-and-so died before you were born? Right. Yeah. This was your great grandfather's favorite cookie recipe. Or, you know, this is the field that your grandmother used to work in when she was in high school. You know, I'm just very straightforward anyway, but yeah. So, you know, my children have never met my grandmother, but we sure do use her China on a regular basis. And if ever anyone says Evelyn, you know, that was her name. I'm very quick to say, oh, that was your grandmother's name. That's one of my favorite names, Mm. you know, or tell a story about her. It's beautiful. Yeah, but they never met her. Do you have any good resources, books or apps for kids to help explain grief? Yeah, I was thinking about that. There's so if you Google, you can find anything that you want and it's becoming <laughs> yes. more and more mainstay, but I was thinking about books that I love. One of them is is really simple. It's called I Miss You and it's by Pat Thomas and it's a really good intro to death, right? It's a really honest, direct explanation of people die and here's how, and here's what happens afterwards. And this is how you might feel, you know? So I think that's a really good one. I also really like one called the goodbye book, which isn't so much about death, but it's just kind of normalizing feelings around goodbyes. Mm. I think that's a particularly good one. And then because I love tapping, (laughs) there's one that I think is really good for children in tapping called gorilla thumps and bear hugs. And it teaches them how to tap, which I also think is helpful. And then another one that came to mind is a really sweet story of connection. It's not so much about death, but it's about how we're all connected no matter where we are. And it's called The Invisible String by Patrice Mm. Karst. And I really like that one too. I feel like I should read all those books anyway too. Absolutely. But you know, I think too, if, if somebody's going through a particular situation, you just want to remember if you have the internet you have so many resources that you don't even know at your fingertips, right? So if somebody's going through a long-term illness, then whatever the palliative care organization is that's close to you is going to have so many resources on age-appropriate grief books and how to talk to kids and write all that information is out there and available. You really just have to to Google it, to be honest. Mm. Or listen to your podcast, obviously. Or you can listen to my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I also love if people, so people are probably podcast listeners. Oh, they are. One of my favorite podcasts about grief is called Grief Out Loud. And specifically, it's probably good for your audience because it's by, it's called the Dougie Center and they are a national center for grieving children and families. And so their grief work is very focused on specifically how do you support families that Mm. are going through a loss or have recently had a loss. And I just love all of the resources that they have both in their podcast and on their website. Oh, we'll we'll definitely link those in the show notes. Yeah. I feel like I've learned so much already from this chat because even you talking about, you know, loving colleagues, bringing up Hugo, like to me, that is such a brave thing to do. Like I, like I so understand why that would be so nice for you, but I still feel like in Mm -hmm. the moment, I would be so shit scared to do that. Yeah. Well, and you know, sometimes people were, and so then I would just bring it up Yeah, because I knew that I wanted to talk about it. And that's kind of the same thing. So I'm dating someone now. I say dating, we bought a house and we live together. So probably a little more than dating. (laughs) You don't just go to the movies anymore. (laughs) We don't just go to the movies. Well, we met right before COVID, so we never really went to the movies. but, (laughs) But so bringing him along in that too, right? Right, and still telling stories about Hugo and still making Hugo a part of my life and him giving me the space and knowing that, that that's the way it's going to be. Right. Yeah. And so there's always going to be that part of me and I still want to talk about it. Not because, you know, it, it, it has nothing to do with comparison between the two of them, but because just because you start a new relationship doesn't mean that the old one just went away. Right. Yeah. And I think that's so complex because I think also when people die, obviously we like Mm -hmm. to remember the good things. Is that difficult when you start a new relationship? Because like, I mean, I guess you can just say, well, you don't compare. They're obviously their own people, whether Hugo was alive or not. But is there... I don't know. That must be a tough one though, to not be like, oh, well, Hugo would never do that. Well, yeah, you do kind of have to remind yourself that we do glamorize people after they die, right? We tend to remember only their highlight reels. um, And that's, that's not so realistic, but also I don't think it's ever been about 
you know, perfection for me. I didn't love him because he was perfect. Mm. I, I loved the, you know, he what was did you love? Henri, you know, just a handful. And that's what I loved about him, right? Is this the way his neck would get all fired up and red and he's, he's French Canadian. So he's, he's just swearing all the time, but brilliant, smart engineer, and but you know, fiery. And the person I'm with now is very different than that. Yeah. It's, but it's like kids, right? You, mm. There's no limit to the love in your heart that you feel for kids. You, you you have one and then you have another one and then you realize, oh, I have more than enough love. And they can be totally different and I can mm-hmm. love them for who they are, right? That's what makes it beautiful. Gosh, you're so calming listening to you, your voice. Yeah. But I feel oh, I feel you. like I and I completely agree. And I feel like with kids, like as a society, it's like it's it's normal to love as many children as you have. But I guess, mm-hmm. you know, in a a typical monogamous society, you're kind of taught, yeah. oh, you can only love one yeah, person one. at a time. But like that's not true to you. Like you love Hugo, but you love totally. your partner now as well. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And I think I did enough work on myself too, which is where I find a lot of my clients struggling is, you know, they don't really realize that the happiness that they experienced in their relationship not to say that person wasn't wonderful, but they don't really realize that they were creating that, mm. that relationship. Right. And so they tend to attribute all of their happiness to the relationship mm. instead of to themselves for creating that. And so then when the relationship's gone, they assume that they can't be happy unless they're in another relationship. Yeah. And so then often, you know, they're jumping into a relationship too soon or in a relationship that's gone sideways. And I think I was, I just had enough foresight to realize that, no, I'm not going to go into another relationship until I'm in a place where I feel really good, right? That I really do believe I've got me and I don't need another relationship to be happy. If I want one, it'll be about giving and not trying to fill a hole, right? And I felt whole and abundant. And if we can get ourselves to that place, even if we're in a relationship now and we're not feeling whole and abundant, that's worth doing, right? Because then relationships aren't about you missing something or trying to get something. And this can be taken not with death. It can be taken with separation and divorce. And because as you said at the start, you know, we, you can lose someone. It doesn't mean they have to die. You've actually just not got that relationship Mm. anymore. So I feel like the tools you're saying, you can use them for these issues as well. Yeah. Or, or the loss of a job, right? Or anything you expected to go one way that went another there's usually grief. Right. Wow. Thank you so, so much for this chat today. Um, Is there anything else you want to leave our lovely listeners with, whether that be, you know, uh, they are themselves grieving or they have a loved one that is grieving before we send you on your merry way? I guess I would just say to be kind to yourself, right? If you can just be kind to yourself, no matter how you feel, right? If you're feeling sad, you're kind to yourself. If you're feeling guilty, you're kind to yourself. If you're feeling happy, you're kind (laughs) to yourself. Just no matter how you're feeling, you're being kind to yourself. And we all have that little inner critic voice that will come in and say, you're doing it wrong. You should be somewhere other than where you are. You should be doing it better. And we just don't have to listen to that voice. We can have a kind response, right? To that voice and to however it is we feel. And the same thing is true if you're thinking about how to support someone in grief, be kind to yourself Mm. when you feel awkward about supporting them, right? So if you're kind to yourself and you're kind to them, I don't think we can lose. So good. Well, thank you so, so much, Krista. The work you are doing is absolutely amazing. I'm sure you are just helping countless people out there. So thank you so much. Thank you, Krista. Thank you so much. I, I feel so privileged to do this work and to be able to talk about it with people who are interested is just really fun for me. So thank you. Sometimes people are very mechanical in their podcast interviewing styles and you all are not like that. So thank you. We pride ourselves on that. So thank you for noticing. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.